Good morning, all. Morning to those on the live stream. Um, great to see you. Morning to all those in the room. If you've not met before, my name's Pete. Together, my wife, B. Um, we lead the church here. So, massive welcome if you're new or visiting us. Um, let me start with a disclaimer, an apology, if you like, which is that I'm under par. Not in terms of my golf scoring, but in terms of my health. So I'm kind of recovering from a chest infection. The good news is I'm not contagious, so front row, you don't need to worry. Um, but it means I'm low energy this morning. Hence the, the Lucasade bottle to my side, um, fueled by the spirit of the living God and Lucasade this morning. Um, so I know some of you love a 45-minute high-octane preach. I don't have that in the locker today. Um, so instead, I have a 45-minute low-octane preach. Um, can I hear an amen? Um, I didn't think I would. Um, so let's pray. Lord, come and speak to us through your word and by your spirit. We know that your power is present not in the delivery of the content, but in the content of your words from Scripture. So may that power be present this morning as we unpack Psalm 23. Amen. So we're starting a new teaching series entitled With Me. Hopefully you're going to see it on the screen. This is going to be a seven-week journey through Psalm 23, six verses. So I'm going to start with like a bird's eye view um, this morning. And then over the next six weeks, we'll have a sermon in each verse. It's going to be a deep dive. Hopefully by the end of the seven weeks, you'll have memorized Psalm 23. Um, but I want to take you back three or four years to 2019. Remember that pre-pandemic glory days? Um, B and I had a sabbatical. We spent some time, three months out of ministry. Now the thing about sabbaticals is there may be moments of transition, like a Sabbath. So a sabbatical is like a monster Sabbath. The point of a Sabbath is a day each week, a day of rest, a day of spiritual encounter to encounter Jesus Christ. It's a holy day, but it's a day of transition. It marks the end of one week um, and it's a moment of encounter before a new week begins. And a sabbatical is a bit like that. It's a moment of transition. So what were we tra transitioning from and to? Um, well, partly a kind of life stage transition for us, hitting 40. B did that very graciously. I had a bit more of a wrestle. Um, but turning 40, many of you will know this and many in the room will have no idea, but it's something to look forward to. Um, you tend to hit a midlife crisis. Um, that manifests itself in kind of a confidence crisis and other forms of crisis. But it's a moment of transition that you have to navigate um, and hopefully navigate well. So that was going on. And then beyond that transition, there was a spiritual transition for B&I, which is we'd completed a decade in ministry at KXC and we were trying to refuel in preparation for the next chapter of our story as a church. I knew I was going through some sort of transition, but was like asking the Lord to give wisdom and discernment as to what was actually going on. And this is what I felt the Lord say to me during sabbatical, that the shift I was going through was a shift from operating primarily as a leader to operating primarily as a spiritual father. And there's a difference between the two. Leaders tend to be driven by destination. And I think for the first decade in the life of KXC, I operated primarily as a leader. Um, I'm quite a driven individual, but this is what leaders do. They tend to be visionaries. They spend a lot of our time articulating how amazing it would be over there. 
right? So they often live with actually quite high levels of dissatisfaction and discontent. Here's okay, it sucks a little bit, but over there, that would be incredible. And you paint pictures that people can imagine of what things might look like, feel like if we were over there in a new building with this new church plant, with this new ministry. Look at there, that's amazing. And actually you try and sow seeds of discontent, highlighting the deficiencies of here to motivate people to own the fact that, yeah, this is okay, but this would be great. And then you move people on the journey. Um, leaders do that and we need leaders if we want movement we need leaders but the function of a father and a mother is very different and this was the phrase that um, I sensed the Lord speak over me leaders are driven by destination the task of a father is to be present with delight present with delight what my kids want from me when I'm with them isn't to cast a vision of what it would be like playing FIFA on the PlayStation 5 instead of the PlayStation 4 this is good that would be better and imagine playing football if our garden was double the size this is good that would be better right they don't want that they want me to be present with joy present with delight emotionally present like in the moment, dancing to their favourite song, on the floor, wrestling with them, playing FIFA and destroying them and humiliating them in the process. They want me to be present with joy. That's what spiritual fathers and mothers do. And I, I still feel called to lead. My pioneering days aren't done. Our best pioneering days as a church, they were ahead of us, not behind us. But I want to be present and B and I want to be present as a spiritual mother, a spiritual father, present with delight. Now, ministry in the context that we find ourselves in, which is marked out by high levels of anxiety, most people processing trauma, um, and uh, aware of high levels of fragility, in a moment like this, we need more than just leaders. We need shepherds. We need mothers and fathers. Listen to what it says of, of King David, that he shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them. Those are two different things, by the way. He shepherded them like a spiritual father and he led them towards new destinations. We want to do both, but we recognise in this moment what the church really needs to help people process high levels of anxiety, high levels of trauma, high levels of fragility. They need spiritual mothers and fathers who are present with delight. Paul says to the church in Corinth, they were experiencing turmoil. He says, you, you can have 10,000 guardians. But what you really need is some spiritual fathers and, and mothers. You need people to take you by the hand and lead you to Christ, the good shepherd, who will bring healing and restoration to your souls. So that's the journey we're going to go on. And as we read through the text week by week, I want you to have two mindsets. One is um, to identify with the sheep. You might need to use your imagination this. But to identify yourself as the one in a moment of vulnerability, the one who needs a good shepherd the one who really needs to encounter Christ afresh. And secondly, to hear the invitation to follow the way of Jesus and become a shepherd for others, leading them to places of encounter with Jesus, to green pastures, still waters, where we find replenishment for our being. So that's the journey we're on. Excited? Semi. Let's, let's read the text together. We're going to read this every single week. Hopefully, as I said, at the end of seven weeks, we'll have it memorised. So let's say all together, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down.
Amen. Okay, so we're going to journey through bird's eye view. Um, three tools as we embark on this journey. Tool number one is we, we're going to have some guides, theologians, scholars, both from the current age, but also church history. Um, if you want to read a good book, this is a brilliant book, Kenneth Bailey, um, The Good Shepherd. He's a Middle Eastern scholar who's going to try and unpack this psalm for us um, with the mindset of what King David was actually trying to speak into um, as he wrote this psalm. So we've got some guides, some random people that you've never heard of that I'll be quoting on the way. Secondly, um, we've got some music. So I want this journey to be devotional. So Ruth, you can press play. Um, Hopefully by playing some music, we can manipulate a moment. That's obviously a joke. Um, The point of playing some music is to help us slow down right? That this isn't a teaching moment where I want our minds to be open and our minds to be inspired. I want our hearts to be ready for encounter as we journey through the psalm. And sometimes um, some music helps us occupy this space in a slightly different way. So this will be far more devotional than just preaching stuff at you. Lord, come and meet us as we journey. So tool number two will be some music. Tool number three is your imagination. I'm going to take you on a journey or King David's going to take you on a journey through this psalm. Um, And it's a journey from the village and then from the village to green pastures and still waters where you can be replenished. Now, along that journey, we're going to have to pass through some really dark valleys that will feel terrifying. And then after encountering God, In green pastures by still waters, we will then journey back to the village before nightfall. Now, what you need to have in your imagination isn't a journey through the fields in the Cotswolds or your favourite walking destination in the UK, right? We're not talking fields, hedgerows, gates. We're talking ancient Israel, arid terrain, like intense heat and open pasture land. When you leave the village, you are vulnerable as sheep, entirely vulnerable as sheep. Your only protection is the shepherd. So let's start. Verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. This is Kenneth Bailey. Sheep have a special problem. They have no defences. Cats have teeth, claws, and speed and they're arrogant I added that bit (laughs) dogs have their teeth and their speed horses can kick bite and run bears can claw bite and crush deer can run but the sheep have no bite or claws and cannot outrun any serious predator they can butt other sheep but that ability will not protect them from a wolf or a bear the sheep's only security is the shepherd This is the best way to follow the way of Jesus. And it is actually the only way to follow the way of Jesus. Total dependence. Partial dependence doesn't work and it will be disappointing to you. Partially dependent on Jesus and partially dependent on your finances or partially dependent on your career, partially dependent on your marriage or your parents or friends, it doesn't work. Total dependence total dependence when you leave the village you are dependent on your shepherd this is an archbishop 
writing in the 12th century from Armenia. The Lord is my shepherd. In other words, I wandered in the midst of beasts, dogs and bulls that surrounded me. Lions opened their mouths and wished to ravish me. I was terrified. And because of my fear, I made a treaty with the Saviour. Therefore, do not be afraid of my soul. For he is my shepherd and I shall not want. In other words, Lord, it's only you. You need to guide me. You need to watch over me. I am totally dependent on you. If I was to summarize verse one in the format of a beatitude, a blessing, it would be this. Blessed are the vulnerable. They will find contentment in Christ, their shepherd. So if you're here this morning and you feel some level of vulnerability, wrestling challenges in mental health, physically sick, emotionally fragile, concerned about finances, you can fill in the gaps. If you're feeling vulnerable, if you turn to Christ, your shepherd, there's a promise of contentment, that your testimony could become the testimony of David, that I lack nothing, because in Christ, I have everything. We are all driven by unmet needs. We are all driven by unfulfilled desires. Where you take those needs and where you take those desires, that will transform your journey. You take them to the wrong people, the wrong places, they will break your heart. But the invitation is come to Jesus, the good shepherd, and and you'll find true contentment. You'll be able to say, because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. If you're in the room feeling vulnerable, You're in the right place. The Lord is here. Blessed are the vulnerable. They will find contentment in Christ, their shepherd. Verse two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. A different translation would say, he causes me to lie down, invites me to lie down. Here's the thing, sheep only lie down when they've had plenty to eat have quenched their thirst and are not threatened by any wild animal or disturbed by biting insects, right? Sheep only sit down when they're satisfied and safe. When they're dissatisfied and don't feel safe, they will not sit down. I would say this is a picture of the moment we find ourselves in culturally where most people are experiencing some level of exhaustion. But combine that with the fact that they don't know how to rest and it's a pretty toxic combination. Like we've all been in this situation, right, where you're absolutely exhausted, but you're too tired to go to bed. Ever said that? Too tired to go to bed. So I will stay up and watch rubbish TV and I will stay up just scrolling through social media. I'm too tired to rest. Any of us feel this? We're exhausted, but we don't know how to rest. Part of that is beneath the surface. We don't feel safe and we aren't satisfied. We have lots of needs and lots of desires and we're pretty frightened. How does the Good Shepherd lead us? Back to Kenneth Bailey, one of our guides. The Good Shepherd leads me. He does not drive me. 
There is a marked difference. In Egypt, where there is no open pasture land, I've often seen shepherds driving their sheep from behind with sticks. But in the open wilderness of the Holy Land, the shepherd walks slowly ahead of his sheep and either plays his own 10-second tune on a pipe or, more often, sings his own unique call. The sheep appear to be attracted primarily by the voice of the shepherd, which they know and are eager to follow. Like when you're vulnerable, you're more attentive to voices, right? What happens when you tune into the voice of Jesus, your good shepherd? He said, my sheep know the sound of my voice. What happens when you follow the voice? He leads you to still waters. Now here's another fact you need to know about sheep. You're going to learn a lot about sheep, by the way. Is they won't drink from running water. Refuse to drink from running water. So the shepherd will go ahead of them. And in the river or in the stream, we'll build a little dam to create a little area of still water. Otherwise, the sheep will be so close, but will be too afraid to actually dip their heads in the river and drink. This is an Armenian shepherd and pastor says this. Within sound and sight of water, they, the sheep, would all begin to run towards it, showing that they were very thirsty. Yet at their arrival, as I watched them, only a few would be drinking, while others all along the edge of the water, like the pedestrians on a fashionable street in a great metropolis, keep passing each other up and down the stream. I learned the valuable lesson that they do not drink from rippling waters. They continue until every last one of them had found a quiet little pool between stones showing up above the ripples. No turbid streams or ruffled rivulets will tempt them. They want waters that move quietly if you feel exhausted because you've been attacking life at too much pace and if you don't know how to rest can I tell you something about your good shepherd he goes ahead of you and orchestrates moments of encounter and he will not force you into those moments but he will invite you he will go ahead into the river create a dam with still waters and simply invite you to come and drink. And the question is, will you? Will you? Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. If I was to summarise verse 2 with the beatitude, blessed are they that abide, blessed are they that slow down, blessed are they that rest they will be led to abundance in Christ their shepherd. The pathway to abundance isn't hyperactivity. It is slowing down. And some of you in this room, you don't know how to slow down. And the spirit of the living God is here. And maybe in a moment when we pray for one another, you can come to the front and say, God, I'm exhausted and I don't know how to rest. Could you create a little bit of still water? so that I can find replenishment for my innermost being. Blessed are they that abide. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide, if you rest, if you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit, fruit that will last. And can I say to us as a family and to us as individuals, stop believing that hyperactivity will lead to abundance. It won't. It will lead to chronic exhaustion. Come and drink. Come and drink. Verse 3. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. It's a really poor translation. He refreshes my soul. The picture we get from this is of an exhausted sheep looking for refreshment. We've just had that in verse two. 
The Hebrew verb here actually means to be brought back. A better translation would be, he brings back my soul. Or he brings me back and guides me along the right path for his name's sake. So the metaphor isn't a tired sheep, it's a lost sheep. Think of Jesus telling the parable of the lost sheep. The shepherd leaves the 99 and goes for the one that is tired. No, the one that is lost. Back to Kenneth Bailey. Once a sheep knows that it is lost, it tries to hide under a bush or rock and begins quivering and bleating. The shepherd must locate it quickly lest it be heard and killed by a wild animal. On being found, it is usually too traumatised to walk and must be carried back to the flock or to the village. This is the thing about trauma. This is the thing about panic is it creates paralysis. And then people feel really stuck and don't know how to move on. When we experience real pain, real trauma, we emotionally freeze. And that's a healthy short-term strategy because sometimes the pain is overwhelming. So we numb the pain. But when the short-term strategy becomes the long-term strategy, it creates incredible damage. And you meet individuals in their 40s, 50s that are emotionally trapped in their teens and 20s. This is what happens when we experience trauma. Can I remind you of what your good shepherd's like? He leaves the 99. And he hears the cries for help. And he knows where you're hiding. And if you let him, he'll come and find you. And he'll rescue you. And he'll bring you back into community. He will nurse your wounds so that you can find healing. If I was to summarize verse three in a blessing, Blessed are those that are lost and hurting. They will be found and made whole in Christ their shepherd. So if you're here this morning and you feel lost in life, emotionally stuck in life, drifting, going through patterns that are cyclical, just can't move on, the Spirit is here. There is a blessing for you this morning in Christ your good shepherd. Verse four, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The only way to move from one valley to another is through these dark valleys. This is what one scholar says, valleys of the shadow of death, a path which wind in between mountains where there are dark shadows and deep gorges. Travelers march slowly and silently in order to avoid being seen or heard by bandits. The fear of death is constantly in their minds. They tremble. They expect trouble or death at any time while they are passing through. In moments of transition in life, the fear you experience isn't irrational. It is rational. You probably should be afraid. Like there are threats, there are things in moments of transition that, that are a danger. But there is one who can overcome the fear. For sheep, it's a mere glimpse of the shepherd. It's like, oh, we're fine. He's leading us through this. And there is something that they can see, which is the rod and the staff. The Hebrew word here translated rod has a long history. Its meaning, meanings include rod, scepter and weapon. It does not refer to a walking stick. Rather, it's the shepherd's primary offensive weapon for protecting the flock from enemies, be they wild animals or human thieves. The instrument itself is about two and a half feet long with a mace-like end into which heavy pieces of sharp iron 
are often embedded. It becomes a formidable weapon. So when the sheep sees the rod, they know that their shepherd has enough power to overcome enemies. But more than just the rod, there's a staff and the shepherd's staff has a crook, which means that if the sheep get stuck, this staff will rescue them, set them free. So when the sheep see the shepherd and they see the rod and the staff, they know that their shepherd, his arm is not too short to save, to save them from their enemy, or to save them from themselves. Here's what you need to know about your good shepherd. His arm is not too short to save, to save you from your enemies and to save you from yourself. When you do things that are self-destructive, he is powerful to save. This would be the summary in the form of a beatitude. Blessed are the fearful, they will be comforted in Christ their shepherd. Anyone here this morning feeling anxious, afraid? I want you to know that your God in heaven, his arm is not too short to save. Verse five, penultimate verse. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now we've got a scene change here. We've moved from shepherd, sheep, to a host with guests. A little bit like Luke 15, when you go from the story of a lost sheep to a lost coin to a lost son, and then to a banquet at the Father's house. Similar progression here, right? So they are feasting in the presence of their enemies. In other words, blessed are the surrounded, they will be defended in Christ their shepherd. Anyone feeling overwhelmed? like the external pressure is just too much for you. you. You can't quite cope with the opposition, the oppression, whatever it might be. This is what King David discovered. And he wants you to know that you are defended. There is a blessing for those that feel surrounded. They will be defended. In fact, they can experience abundance even in the place of scarcity because Christ is with them that your cup can overflow. This is an image of good hospitality. You sip of wine and the host is like, let's pour some more in. Sip, pour more in. And it keeps being poured in until your cup overflows. In other words, your ability to drink doesn't match the ability of the one filling your glass. Can I hear an amen for that kind of hospitality? Right? And this is what King David is trying to highlight. This is the nature of your God that even in the midst of the deepest struggles, you can experience abundance if you come to Him because He's going to keep filling your glass and His ability to fill is greater than your ability to drink. So just start drinking. Blessed are the surrounded, they will be defended. Final verse. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We finished the psalm as we began the psalm. This is the moment where the sheep, they've been fed, they've been watered, they've rested, they journey back to the village. On the way home at the end of each day, the shepherd knows that there is the danger of a wolf or some other predator following the returning herd in the hope that a young or injured sheep might lag behind and become easy prey. If the shepherd has an assistant, one of them will naturally follow closely behind the herd for the specific purpose of preventing such an eventuality. If the shepherd has a dog, that animal can take up the rear guard position. Sheep, when, they're, when they aren't lost, know their way home. If there is no assistant shepherd and no dog, the shepherd himself can be their rear guard. Anyone feeling really weak? Feeling like maybe lagging behind the pack? 
where that you could get isolated and become easy pickings? This would be my summary of verse six, similar to the summary of verse one. Blessed are the vulnerable. They will experience goodness and mercy in Christ their shepherd. Do you know that goodness and mercy are ahead of you? And goodness and mercy go behind you. You are surrounded, not just by enemies. You are surrounded by goodness and mercy. Let me close with an observation and a story. Psalm 23 has a chiastic structure. Some of you thinking, not interested. Stick with me. A chiastic structure in poetry or prose starts with a theme and ends with a theme, and then it moves towards the center. The point of a chiastic structure is to emphasize what's at the center of the poem or the prose. An example would be Matthew's gospel. Matthew's entire gospel has a chiastic structure. It starts chapter one, the outside is invited in. It's the shepherds and the magi that are invited to witness the birth of this baby. It ends with insiders sent out. It's the Great Commission sent to preach the gospel to all nations. Matthew chapter two, Jesus is born as a refugee, has to flee to Egypt. Matthew 27, he dies as a refugee outside the city walls of Jerusalem. Chapter three, he's baptized, Greek word baptizo meaning immersed. He's immersed in water. Chapter 26, he's immersed in suffering. Chapter four, he's tempted in the wilderness three times. At the back end of Matthew's gospel, he's tempted in Gethsemane three times. The whole structure of Matthew's gospel moves towards the center. What's at the center? And the answer is the parables, which might be an anticlimactic moment for us. Like, I was hoping for more. But but it's actually the climactic moment of the gospel because in these stories is, is basically the message of this is what the kingdom is like and it's at hand. The entire life, death and resurrection of Jesus is about the inbreaking of the rule and reign of heaven. This is what it's like and it's here right now. Psalm 23 has a caustic structure. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. This is about contentment. This is kind of what the shepherd's like. It ends with dwelling in the house of the Lord forever with the shepherd His goodness and mercy surrounding us. In other words, complete contentment, lacking nothing. You move one layer further in, it's about food and drink, amen. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside quiet waters. In other words, there is safety and I'm satisfied so I can rest now. And that's what verse five is about. Even in the presence of my enemies, I can be satisfied and feel safe and therefore begin to rest and experience abundance in the place of scarcity. Move one layer further in, it's about protection and rescue and security. He brings me back when I'm lost and He puts me back on the right path. And when I see the rod and when I see the staff, I know His arm is not too short to save. I am safe, He can rescue me and watch over me. Be my great shield and great reward. And it keeps moving in. And those reading the psalm are like, what's at the centre? What's at the centre? What's at the centre? And the answer is that He's with you. And if there's one thing you should know from this psalm, it's that God is with you and you are never alone. And He promised never to leave you, never forsake you. He is with you. So let me close with the story of a British couple on holiday in Spain. I read this in the newspaper a number of years ago. 
and they had rented out a villa at the end of the, the garden of the villa. There was a little gate and beyond the gate was the sea wall. They had a son, eight, nine years old, and this son would often go into the garden and play and then just watch the sea break against this sea wall, mesmerised by the sea, as we so often are. And then one day this boy opened up the gate and decided he was going to sit on the wall and just watch the waves crash against the wall. And one rogue wave hit him, took him in, into the waters. Now the dad was watching this from the villa out of the window and went running to help his son. <clears throat> Started screaming for help, but there was no one around, so the father jumped into the waves and they both tragically drowned. Now the mother wasn't present, but she was interviewed later and said, I, I know what would have happened. My husband couldn't swim. But there's no way he'd have watched his boy drown alone. So he'd have just jumped in to be with his boy. And I remember reading the story thinking, wow, that's the power of the love of a father. And that's the love the father has for us, that he jumps in. He takes on human flesh and he jumps into the waters of our sin. Now, the really good news is that he triumphs over sin and he conquers death and overcomes evil and all darkness so that when he grabs hold of us, his arm is not too short to save, which is why the psalmist can say, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Now, that doesn't mean we don't experience the waves and the chaos and the darkness and the anxiety and all this stuff. We do. But you need to know you're not alone. He has promised not to leave you and nor forsake you. So your testimony can be, I walk through some really dark valleys where death feels close, but I'm not alone. He is with me. He is with me. Why don't we stand? We're just going to close in some prayer. So Holy Spirit, would you come and minister to us in the way that you ministered to King David? That King David, who walked through dark valleys of murder, adultery, his son trying to kill him, opposition from his mentor figure who wanted him dead, who just knew the deep trials and challenges of life yet could write an incredible psalm revealing your nature as a good shepherd spirit come and minister to us in our fragility in our frailty holy spirit come and i want to encourage you just to hold out your hands in a simple posture of receiving if you're up for this to say a simple prayer, also penned by David, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And as you basically say, search me, God, he doesn't want to sort of like 
reveal hidden sin necessarily. And He certainly doesn't want to energize condemnation. He wants to find you in your point of weakness to be present with strength. Wants to find you when you're, where you're vulnerable to bring salvation and hope. Holy Spirit, come. Search us. We are like sheep. We get lost all the time. Come and find us. Come and rescue us. Come and heal us. Here's what we're going to do just as we close. I just want to invite people to the front. If one of those verses stood out, one of those Beatitudes stood out, it's an invitation. So let me just go through them quickly. Blessed are the vulnerable, they'll find contentment. If you're just aware of vulnerability right now, don't put on a brave face. Get your head down, crack on. Do the exact opposite. Come and receive prayer. Come to Jesus. Blessed are they that abide. They'll be led to abundance. If you've been going through life at pace and you're exhausted but don't know how to rest, just trust that this morning there's a little pool, still water for you. In a moment, come to the front. Blessed are the lost and hurting. They'll be found and made whole. If you, if you feel lost, you've got stuck and you're crying out in pain, come. Blessed are the fearful, they will be comforted. If you're going through a transition, what feels like a dark valley and anxiety levels are high, your God is powerful to save. Come to the front. Blessed are the surrounded, they'll be defended. If you feel like the external pressures on you, around you are just too much and you're cracking, come for prayer. Blessed are all of the above, they will experience goodness and mercy. So if you're in any of those categories, can I invite you just to do the brave thing, just to come to the front. The Lord is here. The invitation is to come and encounter Christ.